Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Ms. Kalea Carrington. Kalea is a clean tech entrepreneur based in Calgary. Kalea takes us on a journey. Her, she shares with her, first of all, her journey as an entrepreneur and all that she's been through from starting her first company at the age of 13 to moving into the clean tech space and working alongside, alongside her dad to build a company that was not only going to meet the needs of the environment of the province that she lives in and proudly lives in Alberta, but more importantly, it's going to be beneficial for the environment and for the people and for the community. She takes us on the ups and downs, the highs and lows. She talks about the humility. She talks about the realities of feeling like you're on top of the world one minute to literally being kicked in the butt the next minute and not knowing how you're going to make your next payroll or cover your overhead. She walks us through what she believes our province is doing incredibly well for getting startups going and funding and getting the research and getting them off the ground, but where there is a huge gap, which is leading directly to the inability of these companies to generate revenue, become viable, and ultimately is forcing some of our top talent to leave our city, which she feels is one of the biggest detriments of what's currently happening and what we need to change to secure a brighter future for Calgary and for Alberta. Join me for an honest, a heartfelt, and a journey of a conversation with Colea Carrington. How did you get into it? it? Just sounds like an interesting journey. Getting into clean tech, you're from Vancouver, you're, you're late teens, early 20s, and you decide to start your clean tech, a clean tech company? This is going to be a bit of a crazy story, but because we also came from this like very, very like heavily spiritual background, um, my dad went to our uh, elder. So we're, we're part Choctaw from Oklahoma. So there's an Aboriginal background. Oh, interesting. Okay. And uh, he kind of like went to the elder and let him know like, this is what I feel like is my calling. I feel like it's my life's work to help like support the environment and fix at least the damage that I've uh, brought to this planet. And uh, his name was Sequoia Trueblood, and he brought him into an Aboriginal sweat. And my dad um, had like a vision during the sweat, and then like two days later, ended up having this dream. And he described it like he's sitting in his bed, but he's awake, but he's asleep. And this holographic projection almost of like a, a nozzle is in front of him, and it's rotating in like 365 degrees all the way around. And it's like he felt like he couldn't wake up until he memorized it. And then when he finally wake up, he, he wrote down a napkin and my dad can't draw stick figures on a good day. So like an intricate nozzle was not exactly, yep. <laughs> you couldn't really tell what it was. Okay. A nozzle. I heard novel. So it was an, a nozzle. Oh, getting back to the combustion. Okay. Got it. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so he took it to this gentleman who ended up being our head of R and D for, you know, like, <laughs> like uh, 10 years with our company. And he's like, okay, what do you think this is? And the guy's like, well, it's a nozzle. He's like, all right, well, what do you think it goes to? And he's just like, well, like, I don't know, burner. And it was interesting because none of us had ever dealt with combustion technology, like, at all. We didn't have a background in it. And my dad was like, all right, well, let's build a burner. And um, Google wasn't exactly as prevalent. You didn't have smartphones back then. So you, you couldn't just Google it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like go and, like, go to the library, like, pick up a book and start trying to figure out what combustion was. And uh, my dad went to our very first shareholder at the, um, this wonderful lady, because we're also in this like, kind of like, spiritual self-help group. And uh, he let that group know this is like he had this profound dream and he really felt that he had this amazing opportunity. And she actually gave him $100,000 and she's like, I'll be your first investor. I believe in what you're doing. Go and build it. And we, we actually, we built it, we lit it. Next thing we knew there was this incredible amount of heat coming out of this uh, burner, but there was no flame. There was like no carbon dioxide. It was just this powerful little burner. And so we literally spent the next decade learning about combustion, scaling it, manufacturing, emissions, all the different uh, industries and applications it can can fit into. Um, And kind of like a profound effect that uh, it can have on the planet. Like a lot of people, um, when they think about oil and gas, they just think the industry as a whole is just like, oh, dirty. Mm -hmm. Well, 85% of the emissions actually come from incomplete combustion. So it's from the combustion of the hydrocarbons where the emission comes from. Only 15% come from uh, transporting it, like down to pipelines. So pipelines are very clean, they're very safe. But what we need to do is find a more sustainable, environmentally friendly way of combusting our hydrocarbons because we're not getting away from utilizing our energy sector anytime soon. Like it powers our entire modern world. Minerals and energy are everything. And if you're... You know, if, if you assume that all of a sudden we're just going to go into solar or or wind farms and all this other stuff, it's like you're, you're very sadly mistaken because it'll take at least 30 years before that becomes that prevalent. And all of that equipment is actually still built based on hydrocarbons. 
Like you're right. So you're so so this whole this whole journey was done. You guys were in Calgary at this time. You came back from Vancouver at this yeah. point, and and so how was how was the reception in Calgary to something like this that was um, maybe a little bit different or obviously not maybe the norm clean tech and you know it was becoming popular media wise through different movements. But what how was how was it received for you guys? <laughs> not well. Uh, so we're uh, okay. Using clean technology, and they're just like, oh, slam door in face. Because, like, now take it back, like, 10, 15 years, you start talking about clean technology, all they think is you're really over, you're, like, expensive. You're not needed, you're expensive, right. like, we're fine as is. And we also kind of... No, no, no reason, no motivation to change. Yeah, exactly. And when we finally went, okay, we have this amazing idea, we came up with our technology, we're, like, incorporating, and guess what? Like, 2008. Ah. Boom! Yeah, the bottom, the bottom falls out of everything. Okay, so sorry. What do you? What year did you guys start? Just so I can build, we can build a little timeline here, and because I think it's interesting to look at Calgary's evolution against the kind of journey you guys have been on simultaneously. So, uh, founded two thousand and like, so the concept was two thousand and five. We okay. founded and came up with the technology in two thousand and eight, right when the crisis was hitting. And it's interesting. We actually, um, we're we're pretty receptive. I had a friend whose dad worked at a company uh, in Canada. It was back before they had split, and they were okay. like test the technology. We were really excited. We we're getting our contract. Two thousand eight hit, and Canada split with Synovus, and like our first opportunity kind of went up into vapor. So. Um, we kept it going, kept it going, and then we were able to um, get a partnership with Alberta Innovates as well as CNRL, and we spent three years designing technology just to fit on CNRL's site because they had come, they had seen it when we were like um, a manually operated 1 million BTU system, and they said, if you can get to 3.5 million automated, then we can test it in our site. So it took us years just because, you know, money is not exactly growing on trees here. Of course, and, especially in especially in 08, 09, into like 2010 when things started to roll again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then um, my my father, uh, my mentor, my best friend, he actually passed away January 25th, 2014. And mm-hmm. by April, we had actually finally got that field trial. We're out on site with, uh, with CNRL. And then uh, if you can believe it, oil goes to like $30 a barrel. And they're like, well, we can't keep testing. Really sorry. Like market's pretty much you know, kind of gone to vapor. The guy we were dealing with said his budget got cut from a hundred million to 10 million for all of Northern Alberta. And okay. uh, like he had to get approval for anything over a five, like five grand where he used to have like a lot of kind of like, not carte blanche, but he had more. Um, a- they, had, they had, they definitely, yeah, there was a period of time when there was a lot more autonomy for the decisions to be made kind of like out at on site. Yeah. And then keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Uh, I made this amazing partnership with a lady named Suzanne West and mm-hmm. had Imaginia Energy. Uh, she became a huge mentor of mine. She commercialized our technology. So it was like finally from like eight years in, I sold one. I was so excited. We get out on her site. A week after it gets lit, um, her shareholders uh, kicked her out of the company, voted her off. Yes, um, I, I think, I think unfortunately, if you're in Calgary at all, you, th- that we all know that story, which is a kind of a sad, it was an interesting sad. journey for her, for sure, which is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they, they, they kicked her out of the company, um, she passed away two months later and then the company came and kind of took out all the clean technologies that she had put in there. So my burner included, uh, my contract was, um, they pretty much broke, uh, breached, they broke the contract. They were mm-hmm. supposed to get 17 units. Uh, so they decided not to get any and I ended up getting my unit back at least, but that was definitely pretty devastating. And around that time, um, I was also pregnant. I was going to have my next child. Uh, so had an 11 year old pregnant with the life, the life of the entrepreneur. <laughs> I know. Oh God. And, um, yes. And I just bought a house like a year prior. So I was like, you know, thinking, okay, things are finally picking up. I can make these investments and finally get a house and all these great things. And then, uh, yeah, when she passed away, it was really devastating. It was very similar to how my dad passed away, actually. It was very aggressive cancer from diagnosis to, like, passing away. They were both done in about nine weeks. And um, then I ended up getting this really awesome opportunity. So we've been working with the Alberta uh, Trade Commission for a few years. And okay. they gave me a phone call. And it was actually this gentleman named Michael Couch. And I'd never met him before. And he's like, hey, the city of Leduc will help cover your costs for a trade show in Japan, but it's for aerospace. And I was like, what? I've 
I don't know anything about that industry or anything about that space. Um, they said, yeah, the trade show is uh, September 2016. And when I got the call, I was five months pregnant. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have a nine-week-old. Uh, but I'm watching my oil and gas market turn to vapor. So I agreed. I took it up. And they ended up bringing a bunch of people from the Edmonton Airport, Canadian North Airlines, as well as the Alberta government to come see the technology and tell me like where they thought there was application um, in the aviation space. And when they came, they saw it. They're like, nope, you just have to come to Japan. This is going to be an amazing opportunity. Like, we have a lot of ideas for you. So I'm sitting down at this trade show with the chief pilot of Canadian North Airlines, the VP of commercial real estate uh, for the Edmonton Airport, as well as the mayor of the city of Leduc. And they were showing me this antiquated aircraft heater saying they haven't been redesigned in 60 years. Your technology is applicable. Would you be interested in doing like a, a proof of concept and seeing how your technology would fit? And we ended up like, 75% of the people that came on the trip with us actually directly invested in our company. Canadian North let us do the testing and the Edmonton Airport became our partner in R&D and we've been working together for three years. And we literally just commercialized our aviation technology a few months okay. ago. And then- That's that, Michael, what a, what a journey, what an adventure of highs and lows. And like you are living the true entrepreneur dream, quote unquote, <laughs> dream, dream slash nightmare, depending on which cycle you were in. You know, I'm not really, I feel like I have some of the worst timing in the world. And like every time it's like, okay, it's commercial, it's ready to go, partnership, watch your market Boom. turn to vapor. Okay, ready to go, partnership, watch your market turn to vapor. And again, I'm like, maybe it's just because I'm stubborn. Like I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> well, hey, there, there, to yeah. be an entrepreneur, I, I think it is it is one of the criteria. Stubborn resilience, you can you you can, but yeah, stubborn goes a lot goes a long way. Yeah. So as you're doing this, though, you're 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 getting pockets of support from obviously lots of different organizations in, inside Alberta, uh, even from the like you said from Leduc getting involved. Like interesting, just curious. So you know, thinking about it from an entrepreneur perspective, did you feel you had the support you needed along the way? Like it sounds like it came in kind of waves. <laughs> from from the province or even from like would you say that your support was more provincial or more was it more jurisdiction based like from calgary specifically or was it more alberta um i would actually say alberta like i to me i i i might be i might live in calgary but um i'd say this province has supported me more than any like specific uh city okay. so like when our, our first uh, kick at the cat getting support was actually with alberta innovates and they were okay. incredible. Like we've probably gotten approved for every grant that they've had um, available. Uh, we were the very first company that ever got approved for their product demonstration program grant, which is the grant that we partnered with uh, CNRL on to get our technology out to site. Uh, we worked with Sate doing uh, no, not sorry, Sate, sorry, Nate. They did all of our automation. We got a grant from from them uh, to work with their department to automate the technology. We worked with the University of Alberta and got grants. We got grants from NRC IRAP. We got grants from Sustainable Technology Development Canada. Uh, we've been approved for Shred every single year uh, since 2010. Um, so, like, so federal and provincial. Uh, that have really supported things, which is incredible. Um, and then just like a wonderful group of shareholders. And a lot of them um, just came through because they believe in like clean technology, supporting uh, supporting the planet. Um, the amount of like media publications that we've been able to get in from like Alberta Venture and Oil and Gas Magazine and um, like Global News. Uh, we just, just got their 2020 Women of Vision for Global News. That's not, so from a support network, it certainly sounds like you've been able to not only take advantage of all those things, which is a positive, they've been there too. I know we had a little bit of chat, uh, pre, our pre-chat before the phone call, uh, before the podcast was you know, where you feel the support was very heavy, but also where you felt it was, la it was maybe lacking once you got to a certain point of your product development cycle or maybe actually going to market. So do you want, can you speak to that a little bit? Because it, it sounds like you've had a lot of support, which is great to hear. It kind of warms my heart that, there, that all those programs actually worked for you. But I know you were also quick. Part of the show is talking about what we're doing well, which I'm hearing, but also what we could do better. So any thoughts or comments around that uh, to things could be better in the future to where you could have been more supported or differently supported? Um, so the thing that I noticed about the support, uh, especially for like technology innovation, between all the different like academic institutions, government grant agencies, um, Shred and things, they're all very, very geared towards like scientific research and development. So if you're in the space of trying to like work with engineers, come up with a technology, patent that technology, prove and test that technology, 
there is this massive ecosystem of like funding and resources and opportunity and they cheerlead you. They're like, you're doing amazing work. We love what you're doing. We're here to support you. And you're just like, oh, this is fantastic. But the second you take that shift to, okay, my product's done in design, I've patented it, it's ready to go. I'm looking for for partnerships. I'm looking for companies to, you know, test it, prove it, commercialize it. It's like there's they call it like a valley of death. And I know like there's there's specific definitions for a valley of death. I, I would like to say the valley of death is the, the second you're done the development of it and you try to take your product to market, there's this massive cliff that just freaking hits you and all the support there, it seems to just evaporate because you're like, well, I need, I need to cover staff. I need to cover overhead. I need to be able to, you know, pay for all of these like operational expenses, like Mm -hmm. your own business off the ground. What are you, what what are you doing here? Like, uh, no, absolutely not. Like, you know, you're lazy. You can't get the money for that. Go to, go to VCs, go to angel investors. And- I was going to ask, do you think that's the underpinning is that at this point we've got you here now it's like they're encouraging or looking for you to go out and do that next round more from the private investment community? I was, that's what I was thinking as you were talking, like, is that part of the strategy or get that money privately would, would be a big thing, but the, it, there's this interesting kind of chicken and egg scenario. So like we found, I found it very easy to get um, like shareholder funding based on like a dream. It's like, we have this amazing opportunity. It's going to be great. We think we're going to do all this. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Here's some money. And then it's like, okay, you have a product. You've been going on for a while, but you don't have any sales. So then your, your next phase of trying to get uh, investment in is it's like, okay, let me see your revenues. Well, well I don't have revenues because I, I, I need to be able to build a product. Well, well, if I, you won't give me money unless you see revenue. I can't make revenue until I get product. So it's like a chicken and an egg scenario. And if you can't find a way to bridge that gap of finding funding to build out your inventory so that you can actually sell your product into the market and gain enough revenue that someone will go, okay, you've made enough revenue. Now I I feel like you're more of a safer bet. Um, We'll move forward. So there's that high risk capital, but then there's like nothing to take that risk and actually put it into the market. And um, that's where I found it very, very difficult. And in, in Alberta, I'm not the only one with the sentiment. Like I've, I've sat down at round tables with like our federal ministers for like trade. And I asked them, I was like, why do you keep trying to take all these companies from Canada, but Alberta specifically, and you're taking them to different markets. Like you're taking us to the Middle East, you're taking us to Asia, you're taking us to all these other places that are more amenable to technologies. But what's happening is you're not doing any support to get these technologies actually like purchased, commercialized, build better revenue in Alberta so that when we export and we get um, these opportunities for sales in other countries, we don't just pick up and go to that other country and just decide to stay there because there's no market for us. There's no point for us being here. And you're losing out like at a exponential rate. We are exporting our most valuable resource, which is our talent that's designing these new and innovative technologies. Like just look, skip the dishes and Uber are like a really great, um, Yes, those are two good examples. But there's hundreds and hundreds of more that have gone to Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley has three things that we don't have. One, uh, well, no, sorry, a couple of things we don't have. We have talent here, but they have an insane talent pool. But two, they have access to funding that's really innovative and a lot easier to get access to. But three, you have your first five customers within a one-mile radius. In Alberta, you're lucky if your first customer is in the province, right? So... Which I've heard that you're not the first person on the show who's talked about like, yeah, we got this thing, we got lots of support, but we had to go somewhere else to actually have it come alive, to actually turn it into a business. Exactly. Because like places like even the United States, Asia, Europe are, they're picking up technologies that their adoption and usage rate for technology is far above Canada. We actually lag behind the rest of the world in terms of just digital innovation usage adoption is even lower below that which is very scary so for us to be able to make it forward i actually had to come up with these really innovative ways of getting companies to agree to partner with me because i created long-term financial value for them above and beyond what my clean technology could do but it was like partner with me get me off the ground help me create that credibility and viability commercialize this product and because it's already been sold now i can say this person this company's bought it this company has endorsed it it's operating here you can go and speak to these people here you know all of the information that companies want to know before they go and purchase Mm -hmm. something new 
you have to create that with a company and you have to do it on your own because there aren't really resources for it. Or if there are, um, they're basically like sharks. I've gone to companies that say, oh yeah, we'll connect you to these other companies, but it's a three month process here. Fill out all this information. Basically we have the right to access all your information, including your financial data for five years based on a few introductions that we make, or they're those business development sharks that are like, well, if I make this introduction and a sale turns out of it, I get this much percent. And you're like, you're a small Mm -hmm. company operating on small margins and you're just having to give everything away. So by the time you actually take it to market, you've either been, you know, eaten alive by angels and VCs and don't even own the majority of your company anymore. Or you've given out so many deals for commission that it's like, by the time you actually sell one, you're not really profitable. So you're not going to get investment anyway. Yeah, because it, it doesn't, you're trying to, you're trying to get sales so you can tell, tell a better story, but this, it's already kind of, the bottoms, the bottom was take your legs were taken out before you even got made that first sale. Yep. So from your, so, okay, hey, you've got the mic, you've got the soapbox. What do you think we need differently? Because I've heard versions of this. I really appreciate yours is like, boom, boom, boom. This is what it is and what I've experienced and the very honesty of it. What could we do differently? What, like, what advice would you give or what programs would you put in place? Alberta specifically, this is about Calgary, but we, again, as I say many times, we're not in, in, a, in a bubble or on an island. We're all part of Western Canada and Alberta. What things would you put in place if you could rewrite the, rewrite the playbook to support the journey that you've been on? And there's lots of people I think are in a very similar place to you at different stages. What, what things would you put in place? What would you do differently if you had the magic wand? Uh, oh, goodness. Well, if I had a magic wand, I'd say that... It is critical to support the innovation, but it's actually more critical to support the commercialization of that innovation. What I would like to see happen is that the governments have programs in place to be that early stage adopter where they'll allow for a grant that I could go into a company like CNRL and say, hey, look, the government will pay for like 75, 80% or they'll even buy this initial product And with the intention that you get to use it, Uh, you know, like something like that. So it's just like you, you, you de-risk that, that front end. The government doesn't just take that risk on giving money to innovate it. They take that risk on commercializing it, allowing you to show revenue, allowing you to say, Hey, look, my first customer is the government, you know, like, and they're absolutely. And, and, and you, and you de-risk it for these, for your CRNL being your new partner, they've got the financial side of it de-risk and now they can just focus on arguably what they do well, which is also innovation and trying to find ways to do things better as well, especially the larger enterprise level, like the kind of companies you're talking about. And if they've given you so much funding for R and D, like I've received definitely like in the millions for funding for research and development, a lot of it's 50, 50. So I had to cover the other costs, but it's like once I'm commercialize, why would the government not direct investly and purchase shares in my company and get me the operational capital, buy a unit, get me the revenue needed, and then they actually benefit long term because one, I'm more likely to stay in Alberta because I'll have um, yes. I'll have customers. Well, because because you, cause you and you truly have a partner in the in the in the government. That's an interesting perspective. I've never thought of it that way. Of actually having them be involved, because now you're increasing tax base, you're increasing jobs. Like how much how much value are they going to get out of that investment by making sure you're making sure you're successful in this province? And your head office stays here, so like your taxes get paid here, your people get hired here. You know they're investing in you just to get that money right back, right? So like instead of just receiving your tax dollars, now they're getting dividends, and they're actually doing. This out in Quebec. So there's other parts of Canada. There's some- Oh, interesting. I, I didn't, I, I was going to ask that. Is there anyone else who's following this? Quebec government, I grew up in Quebec. So it's, it's a very different setting there. And the government is, gets more involved in a lot of different ways. And I've heard someone who was very close to the AI evolution in Montreal specifically. And they said the government played a huge factor in the money that they put in to get that over the line and actually turn it into a bit more of the hub that it is now. Absolutely. And like, For Alberta, we used to like lead Canada. So we were the reason why we were third in the world for machine learning. But from experts that I've been listening to, um, like Quebec saying, hey, if you're an AI company, we'll give you like $250,000 to come set up shop here. And companies, like innovative ones, not only will they invest in you, they'll give you this money. The the innovation ecosystem is stronger. They encourage the adoption of these technologies. So there's, there's ways like our government needs to step up and support our technology sector in a way that actually allows us to become viable business entities that can hire more local workers and pay more corporate taxes and create more GDP growth. And if they keep focusing on the singular narrow area of oil and gas, um, 
they're not going to help us diversify our economy. And we're going to keep getting stuck in these horrific, like every seven years, four cycle of, of sales based on external factors that we can't control. Like right now, it's a double whammy where we're, we're trading oil at $5 a barrel because of Saudi and Russia. And at the same time, there's a global pandemic, which has shut down the global economy. And you hit both of those things on the, like, we're going to have a 25% unemployment rate. And it's because all of our technical, our, our, our labor force is designed for energy or for agriculture. And it's like, you need a technology innovation ecosystem. Silicon Valley isn't suffering the same fate as us right now because they're recognizing it's technology that innovates for our traditional resource sectors that makes those sectors viable. You need to focus on the technology that creates the, the new narrative for how we're, you know, inspiring clean tech, why we get to be, you know, only emitting 1.4% of the global emissions in oil and gas. That's clean technology that was designed for our energy industry that allowed us to reduce our emissions. It's the technology designed for agriculture that allows for farmers to be able to have their automated driven John Deere tractor. Mm -hmm. They don't have to get out and plow their fields anymore. Like AI, IoT, things like blockchain, those innovations are coming in and making it easier allowing for more mass production, allowing for, you know, there's, there's factories right now that don't even really need to have workers because they can completely automate everything and get their products to market quicker and cheaper. But if you don't focus on supporting the tech, how can you expect these, these industries to innovate? Like the CEO of Cisco, uh, he came out with a statement saying that 40% of companies are going to die off in the next 10 years if they fail to adopt to new and emerging technologies. And they made an arrogant assumption that people are going to want to leave their home, go to the store, look for a video and hope it's there, rent <laughs> there's well yeah the blockbusters is such a good it gets brought up in I, so many corporate presentations where someone will bring up the blockbuster situation right. <laughs> this, this story. well it's like yeah. it's, it's convenience and they could have bought netflix for 30 or 43 million dollars i think something like that and now blockbuster's bankrupt and netflix is just like king so it's like if you don't understand that new and emerging technologies will displace your industry somehow and you don't start adopting them you're going to fail. And it's even stronger that the number will be larger in traditional sectors like energy and agriculture because they are slower to move on these things. So what does that mean for places like Alberta? Like if, if no, that it's, it's what's well, scary. It's exactly why I started, you know, that's exactly what this conversation is about on these podcasts is trying to bang together some different perspectives that people don't always see and have the hard conversations. I really appreciate your, like, this is the, this is the, this is what it is to live it. So how do we change it? it, it Cause it's beliefs, right? It's at the root of this is the way we've always done it versus like, oh, that's kind of scary or risky. Is it a wholesale different view from the government? Like, is it leadership at the corporate level or is it all of the above? I don't know. How do, how do we, how do we go about making this change if we're, if it's just kind of sitting on the table, like it is. Well, you know, I I think it just requires a lot of like collaboration. Like in Alberta, the way that like I'm trying to support change is through um, one of my organizations, which is the Canadian Blockchain Consortium. Recently, it was the Alberta Blockchain Consortium, but we've gone national. And our partnerships are with organizations like Alberta IoT, Supply Chain Canada, all these other tech. Like we're working with, like trying to partner with Amy, like all these different tech clusters to come together and be like. The number one thing we need to do is create a positive narrative. We need to let people know what we have here. We need to be that massive voice, that sounding board that says, we're incredible, we're innovative, we're talented, we have products, we're ready for business. Um, like we host events and try and showcase as much Alberta talent as we possibly can. We do a webinar showcasing our talent. We write blogs about how incredible our talent is. We're like really heavily involved in social media. We cross promote all the other organizations out there saying like, Hey, let us know what you're doing. So the more that we can let our people know, the more that they can share that narrative and story. And when it gets to the government ears, it's like, Hey, I know that you guys have a specific narrative that you want to push. I understand, you know, you know, politics and all of this, but if you guys could sit at the table with industry and find a way for the entrepreneur to work with industry, to work with government in a collaborative manner and one that supports everybody, that's a win-win. Everyone's going to have to give up a little bit. I'm going to give up, you know, revenue moving forward. You're going to give up, you know, if you're the industry player, some of your time and a bit of, 
cost it, test it, prove it, say that it works. Government, you're going to be putting in more money, but all of you are doing it for you know the purpose that you will make more down the road. You know, would you rather have 100% of nothing, or would you rather have like 15% of a million dollar company? Like, I'd rather have 15% of a million dollar company. Yes, that 100% of that 100 of zero. It takes such a longer like we're talking about that infinite versus finite game of thinking far enough, and you know I. I've had lots of conversations like, you know, our election cycles work against us. Our our quarterly earnings cycle works against us to actually focus and, you know, take a short-term hit now, which we're kind of, we're taking anyways, versus really looking at four or five, 10 years down, 20 years down the road of what we can be. And it's, a, it's an interesting mindset. We live in a very short, we're a short-term society. We just, we barely look around the corner, let alone way down the road. Yeah, pretty much. And it's kicking us. <laughs> the backside right now. It's it's kicking us in the ass. It absolutely. Is. Well, the amount of companies that we've already exported to Asia, the United States, and Europe are ridiculous. Like the amount of GDP that we could have increased for ourselves if the government and industry could just come to the table and work with innovators. And I've heard a lot of different sides of the story. So if you're industry. And I, I definitely appreciate this. If you're the industry player, you're like, we have these problems. But what's happening mm-hmm. is the innovators are going, oh, I think this is a problem. And I'm going to create a solution for a problem that you don't even know you have yet. And when industry sees that, they're just like, well, you know, thanks. That is definitely like a, an issue, but it's a minor issue in comparison to this big problem that we're currently facing. So if you can come up with a solution for that, that'd be great. And like for an example, when when my company first started, we're like, oh, absolutely. Emissions are huge and you need better combustion. So we're going to build this thing and you're going to use it because look at how amazing it is. And they're coming back to us going, well, you know, thanks. That's great. Good, you know, good job on your technology. But our biggest pain points are like once through steam generators and this, not these tiny little burners and our separator treaters. And we're like, oh. So when aviation came to me and they're like, oh, could you innovate for this? It was like, well, we're doing this differently. So I was like, I'm going out to all the ground servicing companies. I'm going out to the operators, the people who actually use these things. I'm going out to the airlines. I'm going out to the getting, getting as close as you can to your customer and, I'm getting and their problem. Come in and look at the competition and you tell me everything you don't like. If this is your actual pain point from the look to the weight, to the style, to the emissions, you tell me everything. And we're going to take it back to the drawing board and go, if if I can design this, if you could get your wish list fulfilled with a new piece of technology, would you go from what you're currently buying to what I can produce for you? And every one of them said yes. So we spent three years working with industry, getting the ground crew to try it, working with the VPs. What's the business case here? What do you need to see? So when we finally rolled out a product, it was backed and endorsed by an international airport tested and proven by airlines and ground servicing companies. And the operators are like, yeah, we want to do it because it's easier for us. It's And the airlines want it because it's cheaper for us, right? And then from a social licensing perspective, it's like, and it's cleaner and it's cooler. And we're doing positive impact for the environment. So if innovators want to innovate, you have to go to industry and ask them what their problems are and innovate with them and then they'll be more amenable to bring that product to market. But there's a disconnect between what we think they want and what they actually need. And that's where industry or or entrepreneurs and innovators have to come to the table and be willing to play with industry. And then collectively, if the two of them go to government, I know there's funding because the government will go, oh, okay, you already have this backer. You already have this player. And they're saying that if we just do this thing or if we just give you this grant or we just invest this much, that – They'll not only buy the first one, but subsequently they'll buy more of this technology. Other industries will buy more of this technology. You'll increase manufacturing. You'll increase, you know, your staff. All of these other things that will support our our economy, right? So there's. It's- I really like your position, and it's so so going back to your golem. Uh, 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 uh image that I have in my head from the beginning. Gollum doesn't go and ask the, the opinion of others about his idea or his, the, the, my precious. And oftentimes, you know, organizations, especially enterprise level, being open to that smaller company coming in and sharing and being open with them in terms of, yeah, let's, let, let's be really transparent about our problem and all the things we're dealing with. 
or the entrepreneur sitting in his in his or her basement believing that they have the best solution in the world, but they've never actually gone out and engaged with the customer. And I hear that all because I think that's a very big reality of like kind of leaving all of our egos and all of our assumptions at the door and going in really curious about solving the customer's problem and the and then the potential customer actually being open with what's going on and not keeping their cards too close. That's just an interesting, more of an abundance mindset and we're in it together versus a scarcity, which I think sometimes happens in the city. I've certainly run into it. Oh yeah, huge. Um, well, I have to <laughs> is I've been humbled for 15 years, just truly, truly humbled. And whenever, whenever my ego has gone a little high and it's like, look at me, look what I'm doing. Look at this funding I've got. I have oh I'm rocking it I'm killing it then it's just like Mm-mm. get your ass smack right back down to reality because either that contract left that industry blew up that person passed away some kind of happened and you gotta come right back down to this level of <laughs> like it's not about me it's not about me like I I want to innovate I want to do good things for the environment and it's gonna take a lot more than just me and. It's so, so important for innovators to understand that just because you have a great idea does not mean it's worth a million or a billion dollars. If you can't get it from your head into somebody's hands, it's not worth squat. So Yes, and, 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 and into their hands in a way that actually solves the problem that they truly have versus the problem you might think they have. Exactly. So interesting. So if you're gonna, so let's let's look to the future a little bit. If you're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna build our dashboard, our KPIs or whatever uh, whatever acronym you want to use for the fact that you know what? Who knows? We're going through a crisis that's unprecedented from a global side. The oil and gas, uh, obviously, the price the price problems we have right now. But we're going to build a dashboard for the future that we're going to do things differently. We're going to start to measure some things that are actually helping us move a little bit in the direction, certainly, that you're sharing today. What are some of the key indicators you would look for? Like it's six months around, you're like, all right, we're doing this differently. We're doing that differently. What would be on your dashboard if you were going to throw one up? Uh, for, for my company or more like a provincial level? No, just for overall, from for the city, for the province. If 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 you're gonna be able to call me, like you and I, we run into each other six. We're out. We're allowed out of our homes, and we run into each other. Uh, uh, six months from now and you say, Hey Tyler, ever since that podcast, I'm really optimistic because these are some of the things I've seen change provincially or even federally since the last time we chatted. Any things that you think would be kind of some of those key indicators to, to let us know that we're going in the right direction? Oh goodness. Well, I, uh, a first one I would definitely say would be uh, watching the unemployment rate decrease. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's yeah. It, the, these, these 25% projections. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So unemployment rates coming down. I think that's an easy one. I, and I agree with you. Yeah, That would be a, a pretty, pretty quick metric. Um, I'd like to see businesses opened back up. Um, yes. Like it, I find it's actually difficult to come up with like what, what good KPIs would be because this is, it's so unprecedented and I've never seen anything like this where the government is literally forcing the economy to stop yeah, and yes, they're forcing businesses to close and it's hard to know like the businesses that are going to survive are the digital ones the ones that are innovative the ones that have worked on their e-commerce the ones who have developed out their in-person relationships and and are capable of bringing them virtual and and pivoting and shifting um pretty much on a dime the ones that well, li- literally from Friday to I think Monday, you know what I mean? Like when it literally all happened over the course of that one weekend. Exactly. The ones that have learned how to like completely cut out operations and, 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 and cash flow costs, like how, how much can you reduce it? And it's the ones who like, personally, I'll never go back to the way I was doing business. Now that I've, I, I've experienced something like this, like necessity is the, is, you know, is key the 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 yeah mother of all invention I think yeah. there's a saying like that yeah no I I absolutely agree would you do you see the government like obviously the government is kind of throwing everything at this right now like I heard a friend of mine the other day said you know to to kill the virus we have to kill the economy and that's kind of what what's happening do you see potential for openness in terms of how they invest and maybe some of the things like you said today were very tangible like partnering with companies differently being there as that that co that sponsor, if you will, between the maybe the large organization that's going to be testing versus the entrepreneurial organization or the startup that's developing something new. Do you think that this transition might open up opportunities like that for us to literally look at everything differently? 
I, I do believe that it's already doing that. It's forcing everyone to look at things differently. It's it's forcing so let's look look just at the employment market. Like I've spoken to a lot of business owners who are like, you know, um on one bright side there was a lot of staff that just weren't pulling a lot of value or a lot of weight. They were just kind of there. And it's like they'll never get hired back. There are so many people that will not come back to work regardless and it's not just because like covid gave them the excuse to get rid of what would be considered like dead weight right so i've had i've had those conversations the the first group that gets laid off isn't the high performers it's basically the rowdy Mm -hmm. exactly so like that that's going to be gone so the the next thing that they're going to look at is all right could that in-person meeting really have been a coffee absolutely and now my meetings can be coffee or, or, or sorry, like a virtual coffee or a phone call. Yes. I completely agree with you. What, what felt like, Oh, I don't want to have all these meetings. Literally it, it was forced, but I know myself four weeks later, I'm way more open to uh, different uses of technology versus face to face. Like it's, I've had no choice, but to change my beliefs around it. And I was all about, no, it's going to be in person. I got to develop out that relationship. I need that rapport. I need that eye contact. And now I'm like, okay, a lot of my meetings definitely could have been coffee or like virtual coffee and yeah, virtual I coffee won't be going back to the way I was doing that. And I looked like I actually cut my overhead between my businesses from 65 grand a month down to 18. Wow. That's good for you. That's uh, so, and, and, and to your point, how much of that is going to come back afterwards? I would say not all of it for sure. I, th- I cause I've had the same conversation in my business. I'm like, wow, if, if this was that easy to cut, then what the heck were we doing with it before? <laughs> well, and it's like, okay, so why, why would I really want to, to rent a building? If, if all of this work can be done more effectively with better productivity, virtually with people able to work from home, right? Like people are going to find they have a better work-life balance. Yes, absolutely. Well, but you, you, you made the, you made the comment about traffic earlier, soul sucking, stress inducing traffic just to get somewhere that's gone. My commute is 30 seconds. I walk down the stairs, put my espresso on my desk and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm in business. Like I've been able to do that and I love it. So it's like, well, I'm not going to have this lease space anymore because I I don't actually need it. All this, like, oh, I had to do these in-person events and all of this funding to go towards. It's like, I can still create just as much value and allow for, I can actually expand my network now because it's virtual and anyone from across Canada can join. A hundred percent. We've even found that with some of our clients where now we're bringing in resources from our office in Toronto. And before they'd be like, oh yeah, they can't be in the office. We can't meet them. Now they don't care because we're all immediately leveled the playing field. And they're like, oh, by the way, we appreciate the value. We've realized it doesn't matter where they're from. So just even those subtle little changes are going to drastically, I think it's going to improve our productivity and certainly our ability to innovate because now you can get good ideas literally from absolutely anywhere in the globe the same way you would from somebody down the street from you. Cause it's all the same when you're online. Yep. So it's a, uh... it is an interesting, I'm very bullish on the opportunities that this will create, not underpinning that there is some, obviously a lot of people being very negatively affected, but in the long run, I think this will make us, well, it will make us better and stronger. Well, like the businesses that like the brick and mortar, I was already reading articles about the amount of this brick and mortar businesses that were going out because they weren't able to adopt to this new wave of like e-commerce People don't want to go to the mall. Like there's a reason why Amazon's doing so well versus like an actual mall because like I can scroll on my phone, I can buy it. And if I don't like it, I can still return it. And I don't have yes. to leave my house to figure this queue out. So <laughs> yes, because, because there wasn't enough upside for that mall, quote unquote mall experience. You know, if I'm going to go for experiences, that's probably not going to be it for me where I just want to buy the thing. And I just want it to show up. Absolutely. Cause we're going to, we're going to value those, those, those experiences so much more and be a lot more selective in how we pick them. Exactly. So any business that was brick and mortar that can find a way to really dramatically increase their e-commerce revenue, it's like, You'll be viable, but then you'll also realize you don't need the overhead. You don't need the store. You don't need all the stuff. You can automate. Well, and sometimes you can be actually more profitable with less revenue, less headache. Like, again, there's a lot of factors. You're right that once you see it, you're like, oh, I can't unsee that in my business. Getting through our, our own belief systems because of the way that things have been done is the way that things have to stay. Now we get to experience, and I, that, that term new normal, it's like I'm experiencing greater productivity better time management, a decrease in cost. That was, you know, it's a lot of stress trying to figure out how to come up with that kind of money every single month. 
Of course, because yeah, it's unrelenting. Every, every month it shows up yeah, again, right? Better connectivity, better home life balance, more sleep, right? So it's like I'm, I'm looking at this COVID and I'm seeing all the opportunity for businesses like mine. It's like, okay, you know what? Aviation is going to come back. And the opportunity that I have now with my technology is to be like, hey, guess what? I save you 72% on your fuel. Those planes are still going to need to be kept warm, <laughs> whether yes, <laughs> yes, they are. Them or not, I'm still a necessity, and now I have more time on my hands to really focus on that marketing, that virtual business development, all of that to get my product out there. Where before I was so focused on my shop, and my overhead, and my workers, and and you know the building of all these units. It's like I was able to figure out I don't need an R and D facility anymore. I can literally outsource it to a manufacturing company. And they can just build it for me. And my only job is to now just sell it. And to sell it, I don't need a ton of staff. I don't need a ton of overhead costs with, with lease space. All I need is my website, my Zoom. <laughs> some yes, you're, yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting what you, what you said, because you're right, as you grow in a business, you take what your core competency, quote unquote, maybe should be, which is like her loud and clear, getting out there, networking, promoting it. And you start to have to develop core competencies on managing overhead and managing lease space and being a landlord or being a tenant. And it actually takes you away from what it actually is truly at its core. Those one or, cause usually in a business, it's one to three things are your core competencies, but yet we start to have to get distracted by all those other things. How much more successful can you be in a three month period of time? If all you're doing is that one thing that matters most to your business. That's a that's a really interesting insight. I, I to me that gives me that makes me really optimistic. Because be honest, some of that other stuff is not stuff we all love in, do, in doing anyways as business owners and entrepreneurs. We do it because we have to. Not rarely it's because we want to manage our cleaning supplies. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Like I, some of the things I would find kind of like frustrating from my end was it would just be like, oh. We're in a co-share office and now we're out of paper towel and all these other supplies that nobody thought to order that now I have to. And this is taking <laughs> my day. You know? uh, the, many, the many hats of the entrepreneur, the many, yeah, the many hats in your office. So it's, yeah, it, will, it will prove for very interesting times ahead as we evolve and become much more focused. And I think it is interesting to see how the government and industry are going to team up. And I'm going to say that very optimistically, uh, uh, not knowing exactly what that looks like, but hearing what you say and that everybody co-contributing and everybody having you know, skin in the game all the way through to full commercialization and actual engagement of the product, that would put such a huge shift in the ability of startup and developmental technologies to get past that hurdle, that valley of uh, the valley of death. You, you, it's like you know, the, uh, the trough of disillusionment, I know, in the, te- in the tech world. Very well, Kalea. I really appreciate your, you know, your backstory, and I think it's so unique to understand different entrepreneurs and where they come from, and the blend of the, the, the spirituality and kind of the, the 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 sweat lodge experience that led to the diagram of your product, which I think was awesome. Right down to the nuts and bolts of you've been living this for a long time and seeing what's worked and seeing the the the, the fake starts and the artificial wins and the I'm amazing to the next day the left hook comes out of nowhere and next thing you're on the mat and you don't even realize what happened. <laughs> That is that is the that is the journey. I watched it was UFC years ago, and Joe Rogan was interviewing a guy, and he said to me, he "said When did you know you were in trouble?" He's like, "When I woke up, because <laughs> he just got knocked out in the middle of the match." <laughs> and I sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're like, "When did you know things were going wrong?" When I looked up, and um, my P and L was a disaster, my balance sheet, and the bank was calling. Before that, I thought everything was amazing. <laughs> well, have you ever seen? There's this awesome graph where uh, it. it- talks about the story of an entrepreneur and uh, it could be like a 24 hour cycle where it's like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. Oh crap. That didn't work. Oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going bankrupt. You know, it's just like, it's like I, I suck. I hate myself. I'm amazing. Oh my God. Yes. I have seen a version of that. And I think I, sometimes I call that a Tuesday or maybe a Wednesday. It depends on the week. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had that uh, so, so many times, but I think like if, I don't know, being an entrepreneur, it's just in my blood. It's not something that I could ever change. I'm not meant to be like a corporate uh, person. Um, I've always loved the freedom and flexibility. The stress is can be overwhelming, and I've definitely had to work hard on keeping my 
my mindset strong and um, my mental health done a lot of work on uh, on mental health because I think entrepreneurs you you need that that cognitive I couldn't I agree with you 100%. You've got you've got to you've got to treat yourself as a whole person or pieces will literally fall off the table. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if for all the entrepreneurs out there, it's like there's there is hope. Like I'm still hopeful even though I've been through pretty pretty bad lows um i i still think that i have opportunity and even if it's not this company that i can make work i know it's you know everything i've learned it's like failing forward take what you've learned make it better keep it going you know because you just you never know when that next big break's going to happen so i'm still waiting for completely mine. and it's and it and, and, and yeah, as yes and it's oftentimes right when we think it's all going to go to shit and you've got to push through that extra but those it's all very real the psychology of, of the cycle and this is an interesting time with this crisis because i think it will change the playing field i believe for the better but again i i don't have a crystal i do not have a crystal ball either Clay, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Because you're this was super inspiring. I'm only assuming people are listening, going, "How do I like? How do I get some of this?" Like, so is there a way? What's the, what's the best way for people to reach out? And and maybe also, do you want to give a plug? Because I know you're involved with a bunch of different organizations. From the you mentioned blockchain. What, what things? What what's on your list? And where can people kind of dovetail in or get involved with you? Oh, great. Okay, so um, the. The one place that you can go if you want to learn anything about me, um, read uh, my blogs. Like I do uh, blogs once or twice a month, um, all of my video interviews, oh, excellent. Uh, about me story, all of the different companies that I have founded, started, run, um, kolea.ca, so K-O-L-E-Y-A.ca is my website. And you can contact there. Um, the other company that I'm with right now, uh, Absolute Combustion, if you want to learn more about my clean technology, there's a link to that website uh, through my Kalea website, the Canadian Blockchain Association for Women. We're actually the largest blockchain consortium in Canada now. We have chapters set up in uh, three different provinces. We're opening up another province uh, later this month. Uh, so it'll be pretty much all across Canada, from Atlantic Canada to Ontario, Alberta, BC. Oh, um, that's a that's amazing. Right on. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. I uh, also uh, co-founded and sit on the board of the Canadian Blockchain Association for Women. Uh, we're now starting to do monthly podcasts talking about things like mental health and gender disparity and how uh, we can retrain and re-educate women in a digital workforce. Uh, so really excited about that. So cbaw.io. So we've abbreviated it. Um, you can link that Um you can find that website through my website as well. Uh, so yeah, definitely reach out. I'm always happy to connect. Definitely have a little bit more time on my hands. Love having virtual coffees with people. I'm still a social. <laughs> yes, yeah, so for for all us for all us extroverts, we will we will find ways to connect. <laughs> Come hell or high water. <laughs> yes. Well, Clay, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate your candor, and it was I feel honored to learn your story. I feel quite inspired. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs>